Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my partner, Hari. Hello. All right. In this, com- in this episode, we are going to talk about Michaels. It's an interesting company, exciting company um, in that it is quite undervalued. It is not a great business, but it is a mediocre business that is priced uh, in a, at a very attractive at a, at a, be- a very attractive rate. So we'll talk more about that in this episode. Uh, before we do, Hari, start us off with a disclaimer, please. Yeah, uh, this is the Value Investor TV podcast. We are a podcast that helps you understand the concepts behind value investing. We are not financial advisors. We don't know your specific financial situation. So please consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment decisions. Excellent. So um, this has been it's been a while since we actually went through the checklist. So for those of you who are joining, who are new, uh, we are we are going through our version of investors checklist. So we compile the list of questions that we go through to evaluate a company, any company for that matter. And um, and we're going to do that in this episode. So to start us off, I'm going to ask this first question on the checklist, which is, what does the company do? You should be able to answer this question in less than two sentences. I know I tend to go kind of overboard with this question <laughs> when I'm on the receiving end of this question. End of this question, but Hari, what 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 does Michaels do? Uh, so Michaels is the uh, largest arts and crafts retailer in the United States. Wow, nice, concise, very compressed. Yep, I like it. That's how you. <laughs> that's how you got to roll. Um, so I know that that's not the entire thing, but they, they operate almost 1,300 stores in uh, uh, 49 states. And, um, you know, they, they sell, break, broke down their sales into four different categories, general crafts, home decor. So general crafts are about f- almost 50%. Um, home decor is 20, 23%, custom framing 16%, and paper crafts 12%. So... Um, you know, there's, for those of you who are kind of, you know, not really into the arts and crafts kind of space, they are, uh, they are the largest retailer in the country. They cite Joann's, which is, sells a lot of fabric, uh, and Hobby Lobby, which is, um, a lot more home decor stuff, um, as their two biggest competitors. Um, and they sell through their, their stuff through, um, most of it is actually 60% of their sales are through private label brands. So these are, uh, comp, you know, they, they source these from China or other places and then they sell it under their own store brand names like um, Creatology, Ashland, uh, Artist Loft, uh, and so on. So, uh, and then they'll partner with popular brands to make store exclusives like Crayola and things like that. So, um, but, you know, if you have kids, if you have, um, somebody who's craft oriented, they've probably been to Michael's or are a repeat buyer at Michael's. Um, What's the one state that it is not in? I think it's Alaska. Um, okay. But, I was going to say, I was gonna guess Hawaii. But. Yeah, it may, it may be Hawaii. It's one of those two. Um, so, okay. <laughs> uh, but okay. your guess is as good as mine there. I, I, I'm not even entirely sure. So, okay, cool. Okay. It sounds like it, it's a, it's a retail store retail business that sells uh you know goods and sort of good uh kind of home goods and things like that yep mixture of hobby lobby and some other retail stores yeah okay uh what does the business have or what does the competitor have does the company 
does the business have a competitive advantage? Describe them in the categories below. So we'll just go through the list. Brand, network effects, switching costs, low cost, intangible asset. Any of those apply to Michael's? Yeah, so I, I think brand is a big part of their quote unquote moat here. Um, you know, they have name recognition and a very large uh, store base. So uh, if you're in a major city, you're probably close to a Michael's. Um, and, you know, their size is kind of what um, allows them to do, you know, to be close to everybody. Um, and the second part of that, I think, uh, as you mentioned, there was um, there's no switching costs here. Uh, there's no network effects. Um, but there is a benefit here in that um, because of their size, they're able to get somewhat of a discount. They have the their private brands, so they're able to provide a low-cost kind of moat there. So I, I would say that those are the two big, you know, um, big moats there, but I, I don't know that they're insurmountable, right? Uh, obviously, Amazon and Walmart and stuff also sell crafts. Um, the difference is that um, Amazon and Walmart don't have the size and scope of, you know, of what Michael sells, right? So there's a lot of things that Michael sells that are more tailored to the high-end, you know, person than um, the low-end, uh, right? Mm. And so that's what, what the difference there is with the Walmarts uh, of the world. Mm. So you think that the differentiating factor between them versus Amazon, for example, who sells everything online is the fact that they carry more goods, yeah, so, more diverse goods? Yeah, so I, I think there's there's two things that, you know, the I have never bought into the argument that Amazon is destroying retail businesses, right? I think retail businesses are destroying themselves because they failed to make their business competitive with Amazon, right? So what you saw in the uh, 70s and 80s was Walmart kind of came in and they were this giant big box retailer. They didn't mm -hmm. have people who were knowledgeable about what the goods were. They were just there to stock the shelves. And so a lot of these retail stores kind of cut their employees down to the level of equivalent of just stocking people because they thought it was, you know, was to stock the shelves and that's it. So as we'll talk about, you know, later um, in the beginning of the pandemic, they fired their uh, CEO and brought in a new guy who was actually from Walmart, but he was in charge of buying specialty goods. Um, and, you know, he, he spent a lot of time interviewing customers, long-term Michaels employees. And what he found was there were a lot of people who wanted to like Michaels. The problem was that they would go into the store and it would be all kind of generic crap for lack of a better term. And, and so they were, they were ended up with a lot of store inventory that nobody wanted, but they were buying it at a huge discount. So what he did was he, he kind of started identifying the brands and things like that that people wanted and then adjusting to their, their needs and listening to them. And as we'll talk about, you know, there's a huge uptick in sales, huge uptick in the number of people that came into the store or bought online and picked up in the store, which are two things that they didn't do very well prior to, you know, this new CEO coming on. So <clears throat> what I would say is that the the turnaround here that's occurring is that this this business is actually something that people had fond memories of. They would walk down the, the aisle and look at. But think about it. When you're doing a craft project, you don't have, you're, you set aside Saturday afternoon to do that. You go and you find, oh, I'm missing this piece, or wouldn't it be nice if I added this? So you 
go and buy it on Amazon, it's going to take two days to show up. Well, you've lost your craft time window to do that, you know, that project. Instead, you get in the car, you drive to Michael's, you can walk down the aisles and you can actually get, just by looking and browsing, get an idea of what you're missing, right? And and things that are, you know, it sparks your interest, you can find other things. Now, the other thing that's kind of ties into this is we have now Etsy and Pinterest, right? Which kind of create other people, other makers are, are showing off their stuff. And now you have a lot more ideas that then Michaels can harvest that data. They can use that to, you know, do that. So their big push, Michael's big push is we need to find the people who are makers, which make up almost half of our customers, 40% or so, and cater to them because they're the people who do multiple projects per year and not cater to much so much to the people who are doing the home decor and, and decor and stuff like that, which is a smaller percentage of our business. And, and really focus on the people who are going to take their stuff and then put it on Etsy or put it on, you know, Pinterest and stuff like that. Right. Interesting. So, so that's, that's super interesting. Yeah. It's a big shift in their, in their business model. And I think a good one, right? Because I think that creates some stickiness because now your customers are going to come back to you. But there's another level of this, which they haven't executed on yet, which is you make stuff with Michaels and then you sell your stuff at Michaels Marketplace to other people who want to buy crafts and things like that. So it's kind of a competitor to Etsy, but more of a, it's a one-stop shop, right? I go to to buy the items that I need and then I can sell finished items in the same place. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. So a couple points I, re- I want to highlight there is one, uh, competition with Amazon. One of the things that is interesting, what protects a retailer from Amazon, being Amazon or or any of these e-commerce kind of steamrolling your business. I think I think a key part of why Michaels could have a good good chance of doing that is because kind of to your point, it's a specialty store that they only produce. It's like a very specialized product and services that you So that's number one. Another characteristic there is you need to kind of touch and feel and and kind of see it for yourself. Yep. It's these are things that are hard that are hard to do online. So if you have those two characteristics combined i think that is a kind of a moat against e-commerce just steamrolling your business one point and then the second point um is kind of this upstream provider to online front uh, storefronts of etsy uh, uh, for for makers right so makers would source their products and goods from michael's and then put put it together and then they could sell it through michael's storefront or through etsy so that sort of that sliver of demographic there that they're targeting makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and and I think the, you know, obviously there's risks, right, with kind of that execution, right? But mm-hmm. the difference here is that Michaels has a retail store base that even if they don't execute on that marketplace idea, if they just clean up their sales a little bit, right, you're going to see huge bumps in cash flow earnings and so forth. And that's what we will talk about when we get to the financials is that during the pandemic, a lot of people were stuck at home. So they turned to doing crafts, right? But I think what they realized is that I don't think this crafting kind of phenomenon is going to go away, right? Etsy isn't going to go away. You know, Pinterest, these kind of services, there's a lot of interest in people 
in a digital world wanting to do things with their hands, touching, feeling, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's a great way to spend time with your kids. It's a great way to, to turn off the digitalness of the world, right? So I, I don't think that's going to go away. And I think the strength that they have is that if you make a good store, right? I'll, I'll use an example of this, and you may not have one locally next to you is Micro Center, right? But Micro Center is a, a retailer of electronics, uh, computer parts, and so forth. They're a specialty retailer, just like Michael's is for arts and crafts. They are for computer stuff. And they are killing it in the pandemic. You know, I will routinely go there on Saturdays for just picking up USB keys or something, whatever I'm trying to get. And the line is out the door, right? You know, it's wrapping around the store and, and things like that. And it's because they're a specialty retailer. They have very knowledgeable salespeople. They're very friendly. They have the item in stock. These, If you, if you remove the word micro center and put Michael's in there, you would hear exactly the same thing is that there is a, you know, there's a huge demand for ha being able to go into the store, look at it and touch it, feel it, see it, you know, and so forth. And, and to be able to get it that day, right? Micro Center, even less so that the touch and feel part of it, right? Because it's a computer board or, you know, a motherboard or CPU or whatever. You don't really need to look at it. But Michael's, I think, is even, you know, better with that. More. Yeah, more yeah. so. that And and I, I will tell you, as a kid growing up, you know, just to, to kind of, bring home this point and then we'll move on. Like I grew up going to Toys R Us, right? Toys R Us was a fantastic store, right? It was a great place if you were a kid because there was just this sense of wonder that you could walk through there and see all of these things. Obviously as your parents would hate it, right? Because they would like, you'd be asking for stuff all the time, right? But I was lucky enough to take my older daughter to Toys R Us before they closed and she was just blown away by it. And you can't get that at Target or Walmart because they have one or two aisles dedicated to toys. And the real problem with it is that Toys R Us was not failing because they were, you know, they were failing because they had way too much debt. As we'll see, this is a common story that we'll find out with Michaels, is they're poorly managed, poorly run. You have these hired gun CEOs who don't even care about the business. They're going to get a golden parachute, right? Even if they do a terrible job. And as a result of that, you are seeing a business that, you know, we are seeing these specialty stores falling apart where <clears throat> Amazon, I think, actually has no competitive moat in these specialty industries. They just have their size and their scope and their you know, convenience, right? But when you need help with a project or a craft or whatever, it's so much easier to walk in and look at it, right? And touch it and, and, and so forth. And they can't replicate that. Mm -hmm. I think the, I think, the, I think the, the sort of the mental, mental framework that I have in mind is, you know, you have an, you have a, you have an, um, uh, spectrum, of, of goods you have on one hand very very specialized goods and services and then on the other hand straight up commodity right pen and pencil yep right and so pen and pencil you don't need to go to you know you don't need to walk into a retail store to look at how it feels things like that that like think things on this side of this side of the spectrum can be easily e-commerced if you will yep things on this side of the spectrum cannot be and i think michael being that specialty store operates on the other end of that spectrum, therefore protected by 
protect just by the nature of what they carry protected by just being uh just you know amazon or walmart uh, steamrolling them with their e-commerce uh engine so that makes a lot of sense let's move on to the next question how durable is the competitive advantage i think we kind of talked about that yeah uh, what are the risks to the current uh competitive advantage um, any anything to add there? Yeah, so I think the the two things that are, I think are their risks are, you know, the Joanns and the Hobby Lobbies are going to, you know, are, may also glom on to what Michaels is doing, and kind of you know take some of their business. I don't know that that's a huge risk because they kind of operate in their own little niches, right? And I, I've heard from people that, you know, if you have a Hobby Lobby near you, that's where you go. If you have a Michaels near you, that's where you go. So Michael's is kind of tapped out in terms of the number of stores it can open, right? They're very close to that theoretical max, right? They can't open up more new stores. They may close some old ones, but it'll be net uh, zero, you know, going forward. Um, so really, I think the biggest threat to them is failure to execute, right? If they don't keep listening to their customer and don't have the right product mix, people are just not going to want to go to the store, right? So it's a lack of interest that I think is their biggest risk. And I think so far the new CEO is executing well, but they may fail to continue to execute well. I think that's the biggest risk to yeah. them. Execution risk makes sense. Okay, next is what are the company's long-term prospects and runway for growth? So I think we sort of touched on it with long-term prospects, runway for growth. What do you think? <clears throat> yeah, so... Very limited amount in the growth. Um, during their investor day, they kind of hinted at maybe 1% to 2% growth in the next hmm. few years. So the, the story here is not a growth story, right? That, that as we'll see uh, as we talk about finances and stuff like that, is clean up the business, make more of the money flow to the bottom line, and then let's fix some of the financial issues, and then we, we have a cash flow machine. So... That's that's the story that we'll pitch here very soon. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Not a not a really not a growth story here. Yeah. Okay. Next question: Does the company require a lot of capital reinvestment to maintain its business? <clears throat> no. So the biggest capital that the uh, reinvestment they're doing is to refurbish stores. Um, you know, in, in terms of their cash flow, their their free cash flow is generating four or 500 million a year, or I'm sorry, operating cash flow is about 500 million a year and about 80 to 100 million in uh, maintenance capex. Um, so, you know, there may be some investment in this marketplace thing. There may be some investment in more e-commerce work. Um, but for the most part, I think e-commerce is already going strong and a lot of their customers are are, are in store or are using the, uh, uh, e-commerce platform. So hmm. I really don't think that there's a lot of, um, you know, so reinvestment here is not going to be a big issue. So you're talking about 10 to 20% of free cash flow. Yeah. And and as we'll talk about that, that free cash flow number may actually increase significantly, but the maintenance CapEx will stay the same. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, last question for this podcast, for this episode. Does the company have favorable relationships with the following? Customers, suppliers, employees, regulators, any red flags that you've noticed? Yeah, I, I think the only risk I would say is that their customer base 
may not be aware of how much better the customer, the store is at this point, right? Hmm. So what what's interesting to me is that Michael's in their marketing database has almost 24 million people. And I think they say their entire um, market is about 40 million people, right? So they, they already have a huge chunk of the people in their marketing emails, right? So about half. Yeah. More than half. More than half. So how do they, how do they clean up the image, you know, of people who are been, you know, long-term shoppers, maybe the last time they went into Michael's was two years ago and walked out frustrated because they didn't have the inventory of, you know, whatever they were looking for. Right. So I think that's the biggest risk to them is that they don't keep the customer at top of mind. You know, as we've said before, if they don't, if they lose the interest of the customer, then the whole thing falls apart. So. Hmm. Makes sense. All right, that sort of wraps it up. That does wrap it up for this episode, um, and we'll pick this up. We'll pick this up in the next episode where we will talk about the financial, the management, and the valuation, which is the fun part of going down this checklist, especially for a company like this. Um, so please tune in uh, for the next episode. And uh, just a couple more housekeeping items. If you guys would like a copy of this checklist, please email us at info at valueinvestor.org. And uh, as Hari mentioned um, in the previous episode, we are uh, we are opening up our Patreon page and posting our videos on YouTube. So if you first of all, if you can, if you would sort of, we would let you know when the Patreon page is up. Um, any any sort of help on that front would help us uh, uh, tremendously to continue to produce content for you guys. And then also from YouTube standpoint, if you guys could also take a look at our, our YouTube channel, uh, that would be super helpful as well. So uh, thanks again for listening. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Yeah. And just one last thing to add before we go. If you are on YouTube, please like, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Um, that really helps us uh, push the algorithm to get us onto the front page so we get more clicks, more views, more people, and then we produce more content for you guys. So uh, we'd really appreciate it awesome. if you can do that. Great. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks.